Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Garrett Zetlin. How's it going, man? Ben, I have been typing so much as of late, and this is a true story, that I've been starting to get elbow pain, <laughs> and my right arm, I like haven't been able to use my right arm for the past two days when it comes to my laptop because I've been on my laptop 24-7. It's actually getting better now. It also is a sign that I'm getting way too old at the you know ripe age, ripe age of 24. Um, it, it is so lame. It is just, yeah, it's just so lame. And I've been using voice dictation on uh, <laughs> on Google Docs. And have been using my left hand to type and like edit all these articles. So um, it has been a long, long weekend. I'm hoping by tomorrow everything should be cleared. But like, what a what a weird past two or three days. So yeah, voice dictation on Google Docs is like a ultimate like old person move there so first yeah. first off that that's not great but so are, are you talking are you just sitting on your like what's your setup like are you sitting on your couch or are you sitting at a desk yeah. and is that why your yeah. arms are falling asleep basically yeah more or less i feel like my muscles are just like degenerating um at the moment yeah no i just sit on my couch and as my roommates go in and out i'm like and that's why they have great depth period <laughs> new line new line the firepower of this young squad. And it just keeps oh going like gosh. that forever. Now, granted, luckily, almost all of these articles are, are written. And really, I'm just adding, you know, a couple sentences here and there and <laughs> a couple adjustments. So, you know, like I, I am adjusting, but it is it is very, very difficult right now. I still have the I still have to do the the uh, one more team rankings article. And I, I uh, am, am nervous about how that's going to go. <laughs> Wow, oh, this this is what the rankings do to you. It's it's just a grind, yeah. and, and we love it. But you know what? There, you can't say there's any uh, side effects to it because they're they're obviously. And like, we still have we still have D two and D three rankings, oh. so it's like you can't catch a break. We're gonna put Garrett in the hospital by the end of this, not because yeah. of COVID, but because he just can't move his arms anymore. Yeah, I can't move my arms. Oh, it's my so God. sad, man. <laughs> well, um, on that lovely note, we we can transition to we got. Some new ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, we are now up to 89 ratings, and we had two really nice reviews, uh, both subjects lined with great, um, which is fantastic to see. Um, one said, love listening to you guys, and thank you for the shout-out for the Tulsa women's team. We're, we're happy to do that. Um, and then the other one, love collegiate XC and track and field. Great work covering this space. So... Clearly, we're actually we're actually pretty good at uh, covering what we're supposed to, which which I guess is good. I I am just kind of curious though. When have we recently touched on the Tulsa women's team? I was, I was thinking about that. I was wondering the same thing. I was like, maybe I zoned out while Garrett mentioned them, but I don't. Really oh, I thought I was like, maybe I zoned out while Ben mentioned <laughs> that. So so this okay. I'm sure we probably did. I'm sure it was probably like the just missed article, which was yeah. probably what it was. But I don't, I don't remember specifically mentioning. So, but yeah, go Tulsa. I mean, heck, we just posted Tulsa men at number three, yeah. and Tulsa women had a great season last year. So, shout out Tulsa. We'll, uh, you know, we'll be fans of Tulsa if they're uh, if they're going to be fans of us. TSR is clearly damaging our brain when both of our reactions were we zoned out in the middle of the podcast, <laughs> and that's why we didn't remember it. 
Yeah, it's honestly, I can't remember half the things I say on these podcasts. You know, someone's going to pull up something in 20 years. It's like, well, your honor, he actually said this yeah. on the Blue Oval podcast. And it's, yeah. We so, can't be knows? held liable for anything we say here. Uh, this is this is yeah. a free space. Um, <laughs> exactly. But we can move on. So we had a busy week of action this past week in terms of cross country and track and field news. Uh, not all of it was positive, and we can start out maybe on the negative note. Minnesota decided to cut their men's indoor and outdoor team. This was something that I think you brought to our attention uh, in our group chat uh, early, and I think everybody's reaction was somewhere along the lines of, in all caps, wow, huh? Is this possible? Like, I, it was just, I, I think we were all stunned. Um, how surprised were you when you heard the news for the first time? I think when you have a program as big and as significant as that within a power five, um, you are naturally going to be surprised regardless of if you see this coming or not. Um, I am surprised it came this early and at the time it did. Um, I'm surprised it was Minnesota of all teams that had to be cut in terms of being in terms of its track and field programs there. Um, at the same time, I do think that there, there probably ha- was going to be a cut of this magnitude. Um, I think it was probably just waiting and coming in the works. Um, I, I kind of thought that they would maybe wait to, for something like this to happen after they play football in the spring, if that even happens, if that's a reality. Um, but it is surprising nonetheless. Um, it is. So I was, I would say I was moderately surprised. I, I didn't expect it to be now. I didn't expect it to be Minnesota. I, but I did figure that was probably going to be at a point, some cut like this. And, and really the first reality of that situation is when you take a look at what Stanford did, they cut 11 varsity sports but none of them were cross country or track and field. So I think at least in our realm and industry, you know, that was kind of a, um, you know, that should have been maybe a wake up call or like an indication that something like this was going to happen. Um, but because it wasn't track and field or cross country, we weren't as aware about it as, as I think a few others. And, and now we've also got to a point where UCR is, I don't think it's official yet. I think it's under consider consideration. UC Riverside is considering just axing their entire athletic department. If I read that right, like I I don't, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I'd I'd have to look at the specifics behind it, but you know, it's, it's crazy times right now. And, and, but that is kind of where I stand in terms of the surprise factor. Yeah. I, the timing is certainly surprising because like you said, we, we thought we would, be able to wait out this year before we started to see power five schools um, really take the hammer to some of their programs. But like you said, Stanford was a good example. We, we kind of brushed that off because it, what it wasn't part of our realm necessarily. Um, there's been a, a lot of consternation about this uh, move, about how much money it actually saves, uh, what the athletic department's, guilt in all of this in terms of their life like in terms of their responsibility that they had to come up with other plans for the track and field team um i i have seen a few people mention that it's it's interesting that we're only seeing track teams cut where we're not seeing any cross-country teams um do you think that'll continue to be the trend as we move forward or do you think we'll see some uh schools just cut their running department completely 
Yeah, see, I was actually talking to one coach about this who kind of was in the similar mindset of saying, man, maybe this is kind of the new reality where we get more just cross-country teams. I don't think it's going to be that severe um, to that level. At least I hope it isn't. Um, A lot of this, we probably won't see the waterfall effects happen for maybe another year or so um, when some of the revenue really just doesn't come in as expected for some of these budgets. Um, I I mean, it it could happen for sure. I mean, it absolutely could. I think it's more likely to happen at the mid-majors and the schools who don't have football this fall, which is basically any program that's not the SEC, um, ACC, or Big 12. Um, I, you know, I struggle to, to know if it's only just cross country and a lot of it, what a lot of people forget is that it's not just financial, right? I would imagine. And I I don't know this for sure. I don't know this on a per case basis. I don't know the exact, you know, how the scholarship equilibrium balances out between a variety of different schools. I don't know those uh, specifics, but I imagine that title nine trying to balance that and having to ax programs is probably a factor in that. You know, when you cut track and field, then you're saving, you know, you're cutting men's outdoor track and men's indoor track. You're cutting two sports right there. That counts as two sports. And from a Title IX perspective, that's probably beneficial. So by the, when I say beneficial, I mean beneficial from an athletic director's perspective of trying to, you know, maintain Title IX alignment. So I don't know the specifics to how that works. That is just a guess that is um, one aspect that I think we're often overlooking. So while I do agree it's probably financial, I do think there are other aspects of this where it depends on how the scholarships balance out and it depends on how some of the Title IX alignment works out. And, and Title IX was you know cited as a reason in both the William & Mary cases and now Minnesota. Yeah, and you you mentioned in the, the article that you wrote about this uh, news that the alignment of Title IX participation opportunities also played a role in the decision according to the release. And I I think that you're spot on to say that that's the case, that Title IX, as they said, had to have played a role in this. Um, And I I remember seeing on Twitter someone being like, the the point of Title IX wasn't to take away opportunities for men. It was to give more opportunities to women and to rather, what what we're seeing a lot of schools doing is against the spirit of Title IX, where the point was to add programs to what you already had rather than cut back um, so that you can be in compliance. Um, And that's a really frustrating thing about Title IX. I don't know how you fix that. Obviously, we want to have equal opportunity for men and women in sport, but we need to figure out a way to incentivize schools to do that in in a way that they're adding programs or maintaining rather than this decrease. Obviously with the pandemic going on and football season being in flux, this is something that the NCAA could not have predicted. But a lot of these schools, and we've talked about this, these are decisions that are coming uh, in a non-pandemic world that may have happened anyway. Um, and the pandemic may have uh, in, like hurried these decisions along, but these things could have happened regardless. So uh, I think the NCAA, need, we need to figure out how to, make Title IX more appealing to schools to keep programs and to add programs rather than try to be compliant by uh, decreasing the amount of teams they have. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's tough to say, right. And you just, 
Because personally, I'm not going to act like I know exactly how these Title IX balances work, especially because it's very different at each school and each university and how that scholarship allocation works. I'm not going to pretend and sit here and be like, oh, it's definitely Title IX. And like, you know, is it probably a factor? Yes, probably. But it's very difficult. And we're also in unprecedented times. Like we can't just... Uh, for me, when I take a look at this, we can't just say it's like, well, the university could have done this, the university could have right. done that. I mean, we've had the Wisconsin athletic director, uh, Barry Alvarez, and we've had, you know, uh, Iowa State athletic director, uh, Jamie Pollard, you know, come out and say, if we do not have football or, you know, something along those lines, there is going to be a massive, massive impact on the financial losses that these universities could sustain. And it would dramatically change you know, school athletics as we know them. And we're kind of getting to that point specifically in the Big Ten. And uh, you know, as we mentioned, already saw with the Pac-12 and Stanford cutting 11 programs. We just don't know. Um, so it is, it's a difficult balance. It's just, uh, it's just a tough time. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, it's this, definitely this or definitely that. I mean, it's, there's a global pandemic and everything is weird. And um, you know, it's, it's a tough decision. So it's, it's tough. Absolutely. And and I, one other note before we move on, uh, Jordan Carpenter, who is uh, the head coach um, at the Sage, uh, Sage, Sagens, uh, or, you know, Pomona Pritzker. Pomona Pritzker. I yeah, know. Pomona I'm Pitzer. looking at yeah. Their, yeah, their team name. Um, he put together a nice thread of maybe the financial aspects of Minnesota's athletic department with in regards to the track and field. Uh, decision. So I, I would suggest looking through that. I don't, I don't know, obviously, like what, as we've been saying, we don't know how accurate that is, but I, I think it does put into stark light that maybe something could have been done uh, to prevent this happening. Um, but as we've mentioned before, we, we can't know everything about the insides of all these programs. Um, so before, before we move on, is there something that you think schools and athletic departments need to be doing to gear up um, in this coming year to prevent any more programs from having to get cut? I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't have an answer. I, I really don't. I mean, you can go ahead and you can petition and you can say, hey, you can, you know, the biggest thing to do is be proactive if you're a coach or if if you are, you know, director of operations or if you are someone within a team who has some type of admin or leadership or operating role, you should be proactive right now. You should be going to your athletic department, going to your athletic director, going to, um, you know, whoever is overseeing these budget committees and making your case for why keeping your team or for why, you know, why your scholarships are, are beneficial for these people. I, I can't make that argument for everyone because obviously everyone's situation is a little bit different. Um, but as we have seen, these cuts are coming. They will happen. Um, it, it's going to happen. And to, to act like the, there are, they aren't going to happen for some programs or that, you know, that everything in the world can save them. I, I truthfully, I, you know, I hate to be a downer, but I truthfully hate to be, you know, that, that kind of guy. But it, the, the best thing that you can do is be proactive, find arguments in your own current situation and be active about it. Um, you know, obviously it's just for uh, the betterment of, you know, the individuals and the communities within um, 
each university, um, it obviously is a massive, um, you know, it, it opens up a ton of opportunities for maybe individuals who, you know, come from situations that previously wouldn't have been able to, you know, you know, race or compete or educate themselves at the next level at collegiately. So all those are, are considerations, but um, just be proactive. That's the only thing I can think of. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Let let your school know if you're alumni, why your program matters um, and and just keep on them and, and don't let them forget about it. Um, let's let's shift to a more positive note, though. We, we have results to look at, which you do. Is we have results. Very, very exciting. Um, we had Syracuse versus Army in a dual meet on the men and women's side. Um, Syracuse men had a perfect sweep. They actually were, I believe, one through nine, um, dominated that performance. And then on the women's side, Army was able to edge out Syracuse by seven points. Um, but as Garrett liked to mention uh, before we uh, jumped on this podcast, Syracuse was missing a few ladies, right? Yeah, I mean, this is... I'm sure it's easy to look at this result and be like, oh my gosh, Army or Syracuse, man, they're not as good as they as we thought they once were. Um, they were losing. They didn't have, gosh, they didn't have Abigail Spears. They didn't have um, Rachel Bonner and they didn't have Laura Dickinson. And actually, I, I, now that I think about it, Rachel Bonner, no, I, I'm pretty confident that she's back. Um, so that's, that's three women right there that were expected to be in their varsity lineup, just didn't race. That said, props to Army. I mean, they, they ran very well. I mean, they put two women in between Vestry and freshman Sarah Connolly, who ran pretty well. Uh, Vestry just dusted the competition. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, you need to take a look at this. It's a young group for Army, two freshmen leading the way. So, you know, overall, they ran well. Um, yeah, I, I don't really want to take a look too heavily into this, but it's results, and we're happy to have them. And, uh yeah, I mean, just something to keep in mind, though. Syracuse was was not running their full squad. They ran about four of their of their expected seven, maybe. Yeah, it's. I I don't think we need to make any big uh, realizations on this race. I think it was good to see guys back in action. JP Trojan fitting into the Syracuse lineup uh, right up front, just kind of like we thought he would. Um, we didn't see Aiden Tooker, which I think we would have all been excited to see him race. Um, but other than that, I, I don't think there's too much to talk about in this meet, other than there was a meet and we get to see results. Yeah, um, and also not even that, but Kelsey Potts didn't run. So in fact, Syracuse only ran three of their projected four like varsity members. So like, come on. Everyone, everyone calm down. Everyone calm down. Um, but yeah, Syracuse men would have really liked to see Aiden Tooker. Yeah. I mean, we just, he just, that is, I get it. Early season, there's not a whole lot going on, but I, I would have really liked to see him. That would have been encouraging. He's, he's one of the guys on our list that of just like, we believe in the talent, like maybe no one else does, but we are and because of that we are more anxious than anyone else i feel like about seeing them perform because we we just have we we have so much stock owned up in aiden soaker we, we what was he in our top 30 this year um no he was top 30 top, last year top 30 last year um but we i mean we really like him and it but we would just love to see 
consistent performances from him to know that he's healthy. Yeah, I just want to see him back on the course, back in some kind of race, even if this is not a an impactful or eligibility used season, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, it's just just want to see him race. Hopefully he's okay. I, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows other than Syracuse what his status is, but um hopefully hopefully they have him. So yep. Absolutely. Well, why don't we move on to our rankings? So by the time you're listening to this, the rest of our men and women team rankings on the D1 side will have been released. Our uh, We talked about, I think, all the teams outside of the top 10 last week, but we wanted to mention the top 10. And to kick that off, I, I want to talk about who do we think on the men and women's side, we, we could start on the women's side, who do you think out of these top 10 teams who actually ha- would have had a chance this year at winning the national championship? Right. So for those, and this, you said start with the women, right? Yes. All right. So for those who don't know or haven't checked out our final rankings yet, we've got uh, on the women's side, BYU at 10, Colorado at nine, Minnesota at eight, Washington at seven, Michigan at six, Florida State at five, Michigan State at four, New Mexico at three, NC State at two, and Stanford at one. Um, in terms of the teams that I, that we think could win the national title, this is going to be kind of weird. It's Stanford, NC State, New Mexico, in my mind. Um, each of those teams have four women listed in our XC Top 50 so they have 12 of the 50 best runners in the nation in our eyes. In fact, I think they would actually have like 12 of the best 46, depending on where we rank Julia Haymock. Yeah. Um, so it's it's pretty crazy. And a lot of it's consolidated to the, sec- the second half of the rankings in between, you know, one to 25. So um, it's pretty consolidated there. I think everyone's looking at Stanford and NC State as the two teams, but you know, when they added New Mexico, New Mexico added Costa Rallis and, and uh, Hannah Miller, and then they brought back some returners, and then they added a great recruit. It's kind of like, hey, New Mexico could be sneaky good. So uh, those are the teams that I have. But the one team, and I we ranked them at six, Michigan women, I actually believe that they have a better chance of winning the national title than Florida State, who was ranked ahead of them, and Michigan State, who was ranked ahead of them. I agree. Solely because, right? Solely because of that incredible dynamic youth. If Caitlin Hart runs as well as we think she is, Erica Vanderland uh, replicates her success from last fall, and Ann Forsyth and Camille Davre replicate their success from 2018. That's four All Americans right there. And that could put you in the title contention area. Um, the problem is that tr- relying on youth and banking on that many youngsters replicating their success all on the same day at the same time is not likely, which is why we dropped them to six in our rankings. So it's a weird dynamic there of they could be really great, but chances are not as large as they would be for the top teams in this ranking. And and I think that's kind of our stance on Michigan. Yeah. And that's largely because really only Vanderland was a all American candidate last year, obviously, um what was it davery and um who else was forsyth those two were both all-american quality runners two years ago but we just haven't seen it um from them uh since two years ago so i i I completely agree with you on michigan but i think the line has to be drawn at new mexico um 
New Mexico with their additions obviously have to, I, I think they vault themselves into the category of national title contenders. Stanford, easy, uh, easy number one, I think in my eyes, even though NC State definitely put together uh, an incredible, an incredible uh, recruiting class led by Caitlin Tui. Um, and the addition of Hannah Steelman was huge for them to really at least put themselves in contention. But I think at the end of the day, Stanford, with their depth and, and uh, their additions, ha- is just too much for everyone else. But I think on the right day, New Mexico and NC State are really the only two teams that could catch uh, Stanford if they run a little bit off. Ben. over under the number of people disagreeing with our ranking of Stanford over NC state in the comments. Oh, over, over, over. You think so? Yeah. I just, I I think people like, and and I don't necessarily blame them. Like you, you look at the NC state recruiting class and it's like, it's hard to, your imagination just runs wild. I think exactly because you don't have any performances to ground yourself. So you just, you aren't grounded. You just go as high as you like, as high as you think Uh, with Stanford, you have that consistency that where, you know, at least you have a range of where they're going to finish. NC state, you can just be like, you know what? Tui could be top five next year. And no one can be like, you're going to be absolutely wrong. We, we just don't know. Um, and so I think that's why I think NC State will get a lot of buzz. Yeah, I think that's it's fair. I think they're they're the popular pick because they have the most name recognition. Yep. And they're the newest, you know, kind of flashiest team, you know, the greatest distance recruiting class maybe ever, you know. But of course, then again, you don't know what how any of those freshmen would translate to the national stage, to collegiate cross country. You wouldn't even know who would run, how they perform. Youth on a championship stage is extremely difficult to rely upon. They also lost Ellie Hennis, their top scorer from last year. You know, how, how are you going to translate that? I get that they get Steelman, but you know, it, it's a deep team, but I think there are reasonable concerns as to why we didn't, you know, rank them there. Kelsey Schmiel, another great name as well. But um, I th- just think overall, and you kind of, you know, more or less touched on this Stanford's more proven. And I think that's kind of why we put them there. Yeah, absolutely. But let us know why we're wrong in the comment section. We'll we'll be happy to see that. Um, on the men's side, why don't we we switch gears? Uh, our top ten was Michigan at ten, Iona at nine, Iowa State at eight, Oregon seven, Arkansas six, Colorado five, Notre Dame four, Tulsa three, BYU two, and NAU returning to our preseason number one ranking after a year-long hiatus um i think this answer is pretty easy in my mind in terms of how many national title contenders are on the men's side i think there's two and i i really it would be difficult for me to see anybody other than nau or byu winning the national title in our hypothetical 2020 season uh, y- yes um <laughs> This is just kind of goes back to, but, but this kind of, it's kind of goes back to the, like a similar Michigan argument kind of with Notre Dame. Like I, I agree with you on Tulsa that I think Tulsa, I, I would argue that Tulsa probably has just as good of a chance to be on the podium as NAU does. Um, but when I think about their national title contention like a lot of those guys are older they have we kind of we kind of know what they are right now you know um but with notre dame 
they've got Yard Nagoose, they've got Dylan Jacobs, and they got Danny Correa. Yep. If they were all Americans this fall, I don't think anyone would have been surprised all yep. at the same time. That's three all Americans. No one would have been surprised. And then you have just so much ridiculous depth between a couple good seniors and then just a plethora of youngsters. And as we have seen with this Notre Dame team, they have run very well with young guys. Kilray is a good example. Uh, Jacobs is a good example. Nagoose kind of broke out as a youngster on the track and then was able to eventually translate that to cross country. You take a look at how well this team has run with younger guys and you take a look at how many elite level high schoolers they have brought in over the past year or two. I mean, it is you would think that based on current projections and trends that they would maybe find a fourth one with Jake Renfrey possibly being that fourth All-American. And you start doing that and playing that game. And this is a weird theoretical, but it's yeah. also somewhat realistic. And all of a sudden you're like, eh, all it takes is any of you to have a weird day again. All it takes is for BYU to have one injury. You know, it starts to get, you start to play that game where if everyone runs at their best and at their peak, watch out for Notre Dame. It's, it's a very weird situation. Yeah, when you, the amount of talent they have in their freshman and sophomore classes is absolutely insane. They the they've just stacked elite like top two or top three recruiting class after another, um, and I'm sure they will again this coming year. But I, I mean, you already mentioned Jake Renfrey, um, Carter Cheeseman is another one in that class who I think could have a break could have had a breakout the year this year. But they also bring in Josh Methner and Carter Solomon who were like I think ran one two at Foot Locker this past year and yeah. realistically could have been there to compete. I, I don't necessarily agree that they could compete with NAU and BYU just because I think both of those teams also have a staggering amount of depth. Um they might not have that like youth upside, um, but they do have so many proven guys that if they improve a little bit, they're gonna be way ahead of I think where Notre Dame could be I think Colorado you can maybe make this argument with they they have the proven guys similarly to Notre Dame um, and they they're bringing in some youth uh, to fill in the back end but they're probably not as heavy on the upside as the Irish are agreed and I think another team that kind of well agree to the sense that I don't think they're as high as the Irish are but I'm all I'm saying is that had BYU not beaten NAU last year, I don't know if I make this argument for Notre Dame. Yeah, um, that's fair. You know, like that. I, I think that's just the reality because right? I don't. I think last year's NAU team, the fact that they went down, kind of leads to the possibility in my mind of like, hey, if everything goes right, a team can get them on the right day. Arkansas kind of less solidly fits into that that mold as well, just because it's like. Hey, if everyone runs their absolute best on the same day, they they could have won a national title. But that that's a team where it's like, man, you really have to bank on a lot of things going right. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of, that's just kind of how I I viewed and and kind of thought about that. And maybe on a later episode, we can we can talk maybe more in depth on the closeness of BYU and NAU. I think NAU definitely has an edge, but I think we've talked about BYU a little bit and realize that there's a lot more coming back than we thought at first and how close that race I think would have been between them. I, I think it would have been very close and, and we could probably do the same with Stanford and uh, NC state at another point uh, because I think both of those two teams on the men and women's side 
will be would have been extraordinarily close at Stillwater this year. Yeah, just so much uncertainty on both sides, really for a lot of teams. And I think honestly, between the Stanford women, NC State women, Northern Arizona men, and BYU men, I really like NAU is the really the team that we don't have a ton of questions about. Zero, yeah. Like I really, we just kind of we kind of know what's there. Stanford, it's like all right, well, you know, Julia Haymock can translate her success from the track to cross country, and then can Aubrey Roberts be healthy? And then how does uh, Zofia Dudek handle the collegiate scene? And NC State, it's like. How does half of their roster score? <laughs> you know, like we just don't know. And BYU is like Casey Klinger is coming back from the mission trip, and Clayson Shumway was injured last year. There's just a ton of question marks, um, and it's just it's what makes this fun. And you can have debates endlessly, just because, like you said earlier, you can make up any scenario, not make up any scenario, but you could throw out a bunch of different scenarios that are probably not out of reach or not unrealistic, and then kind of us sitting over here we're like well yeah i mean sure that could happen but you know like will it really who knows so that's that's kind of where we stand all right well we can do this quickly so on the women's side who do you think where do you think the line is for podium contenders um that's tough i'm looking between it's like it's either washington at seven or minnesota at yeah. eight mm-hmm. um I, I'd say Minnesota at eight, just because I think all of those returners give them enough upside. I think they have the upside to do it, to get on the podium. Um, I'm not super confident that they would have, but I, I thought they had enough enough there to, to eventually pull it off and do it. Well, right. With with the Haas twins returning, plus all the most of the lineup that qualified for nationals last year, you, you had to think that they at least had a shot at being a podium team if that if the team that was running for the majority of the team for uh the school last year was able to improve a little bit and match or at least come close to matching where the Haas twins um will likely be then they're absolutely i think a podium contender yeah it was that that was a tough one the women the women were so difficult to rank the men, it was just kind of like, eh, I don't think anyone's going to bother us with these rankings. And then the women was just like, I have no clue. Um, all right, but Ben, where's your cutoff on the men's side? On the men's side, I think it has to be Iowa State. Um, I, uh, same like eight eight uh, rankings. I think Oregon certainly could on if, they, if everything went right for them. Arkansas, we mentioned. But Iowa State, I, I was I was doing their write up, and I was just amazed by the the like returners that they have, along with the new guys that they're bringing in, and I, I think they really could have done something. You you have guys like Milo Greeter, Mitchell Day, Chad Johnson coming back, along with uh, Thomas Pollard, and all of those guys were really really solid for Iowa State behind Edwin Kurgot. And now they bring in Wesley Bangura and Nehemiah too. Um, and I, I think they just have a super solid, consistent lineup that I think when they would have gotten to nationals, just would have, we could have felt super confident about, all right, they're going to probably finish around this point. And if other, if other teams with more upside, just go out there and run incredibly well, maybe they won't land on the podium, but like they're going to put their, marker out there and other teams are going to have to go out and beat them yeah if i had gone first on this i probably would have said oregon but i think you convinced me on iowa state their lineup structure theoretically heading into this year um 
is kind of like uh, it's very Tulsa esque, mm-hmm. um, with I think just less certainty surrounding the first couple scoring spots of their theoretical lineup. Um, that's that's kind of like how I envision them. So yeah, I would have theorized that they probably could have made the podium. I think it stops there. I think there's a, too many questions for Iona and too much uncertainty and, and too many loss of key scores for Michigan. Um, it is tough though. I mean, that that's a difficult balance to find, but um, yeah, probably Iowa State. That's fair. I like Oregon. Um, I, I didn't. I don't like Oregon as much as I thought I was going to like them as we were yeah. you know, reviewing, editing the article. Kind of looked over. I was like, eh, I don't. I don't love this team. I don't love them as much as I did. Like I, when I think about this top 10, when I think about the tiers, I think of like Michigan and Iona in one tier, Iowa state and Oregon in another tier, Arkansas, Colorado, Notre Dame, and Tulsa in another tier. And then BYU and, and Northern Arizona in a separate tier. That's kind of how I look at this. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Oregon just with their more middle distance, heavy lineup is it's just harder to trust. Obviously you have Cooper tier up front and, Jackson Messer ran well in the 5K, but you have a lot of guys who are really good in the mile, but we just aren't 100% confident in how they're going to translate that to the cross-country course. Yeah, it's difficult. And that's that's really half of the battle with these rankings. It's just uncertainty. You just don't know. Um, and it's kind of like an easy cop-out when trying to explain why someone isn't ranked as high. It's like, well, we just don't know. It's like, well, yeah, but you could say that for you know 99% <laughs> of the ncaa teams out there but we're going with it we're sticking with it stop badgering us yeah absolutely well yeah let's let's wrap it there uh let us know um who you would have put and in the top 10 if we made mistakes i'll take all of it if uh, garrett doesn't want to hear about it i'm i'm more than happy to to hear about where you guys thought we should have uh put put different teams or different runners individually um this has been a lot of fun for our team to put together um obviously we can't be wrong now which is right i think very exciting for all of us <laughs> gotcha, guys <laughs> um but we will be uh anxiously looking forward to any results that we do get in the next few weeks and i think that'll like help us uh as we look forward to next year and a winter cross country season if we ever see it <laughs> Wow, that'd be wild. And just a side note on that, there was a flow track report that came out, I think last week. And and I I kind of had picked on the uh, picked up on this from some of the sources that I've spoken to. The uh, the article stated that you know the conversation. I guess I'd have to go back and take a look at the exact wording, but it was something along the lines of conversations surrounding that uh, the winter XC have. Uh, deteriorated <laughs> i forget what the you know based on concerns yeah. with indoor track and, and how that all works there let me take a look okay it was um what, was, what does this say what, what did they they say yeah it, the, the conversations had stalled that was the word they used ah, stalled, stalled. So, that's that's a yeah. wonderfully vague word yes exactly but that's kind of i mean based on what i had heard that was probably the same case so if you're listening to this you always get the nuances of yes. everything of every report you know them in a world of uncertainty uh we, we bring you a little bit of clarity so thanks for listening we are here for nothing else than to give context and nuance so we are, we are happy to do that uh leave us an apple podcast five star rating and review we are one away from 90 would love to see that by next week uh but garrett until next time i'll talk to you i'll talk to you